Our scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Paul writes, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the Lord is the head, excuse me, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. All right, I'm going to take some low out of my voice. That a little better? A little less? A little less feedback. There we go. This passage is interesting because Paul kind of comes... Uh, from this massive grand vision of what our life looks like in Christ at the beginning of Ephesians, kind of crescendos in that our lives would be rooted in the love of Christ. And then he begins to work this out in the everydayness of our lives and in the everyday relationships that we have. Uh, it kind of seems like a massive shift. And in some ways it is. And even in the middle of this passage, Paul goes from encouraging the Ephesians to including himself when he moves from you all to us or we, and he finds himself in these relationships as well. Most of our life is played out in relationships. I would say all of our life consists of relationships, the between of life. What happens in between us is the important part of what our life looks like and how our life is lived. Martin Luther called, uh, the great reformer called this section of Ephesians the Hostoffel, which is a great German word that combines two words, house and table. Now, Paul isn't doing anything different here when he's giving some lifestyle codes of what living would have looked like. The Greco-Roman society had these lists all out, and actually they would have thought that the Christians were destroying society by living so differently than the, than the people around them. So Paul has to address these everyday relationships of our lives. This house table also describes the most int- where the most intimate relationships that we have and where they take place in our house and at our table. As we gather in our house, as we come around the table, we see relationships established. We see the between of life take place. That hyphen between house, table is a lot more than just a little line of ink. That is where relationships happen. Relationships matter. Relationships are sacred. Our lives 
are combined, are made up of relationships, and our lives come together. They are combined in our relationships as well. This morning, we're going to be talking about marriage, since we're such a large group. Um, I'd love to know, when I say the word marriage, what is one or two words that come to mind? Just right off the top of your head, marriage, what, what comes to mind? Partnership. Partnership. If you want to. Unity. Union. Yeah. Yeah. All of those. All those coming together, these relationships forming, this closeness that happens in marriage. There's also a lot of brokenness in marriage as well. Divorce rate is about 50% of all marriages, both inside and outside the church. Uh, those marriages, both both inside and outside the church, marriages end in divorce at about a rate of 50%. And this is absolutely lamentable, but it also, I don't think, is that surprising. I think it, talk, it really puts the weight on how challenging, how hard, and how glorious marriage can be. But especially if we enter into it, as most of us do, and living for ourselves and being self-centered in our own lives, and then we have two self-centered beings come and live under the same roof, we're going to see a lot of challenges. Singleness, a lot of people wait to get married as well. They want to try it out. They live together for a while. Um, Be cautioned on this because this actually doesn't um, prove to be any helpful for it, but also be cautioned if you're single, if you're wanting to be married, to know the great weight that you're taking on. Don't be hasty about it, but also be expectant at what marriage could be when you give all of yourself to someone else. Have the right expectations, uh, not ones of self-fulfillment and self-autonomy, but of one of sacrifice and giving yourself up. The secret to marriage is that it's not about you. So I have some uh, expert marriage tips uh, from uh, the at the Chad life underscore uh, on Instagram. He says, do you remember playing Mario Kart, thinking that you were in first place and then realize you were looking at the wrong screen and you were crashing into everything? Well, that's marriage. Marriage is the relationship where our, in our life where Christ uh, I don't know that I have this right. Marriage is a relationship where our life in Christ is played out most intimately, both in who we are towards another person, but also in how much we need redemption in our life because it's the place where we find that we are most broken and in need of the most healing, in need the most need of Christ. Marriage is supposed to heal us of our individualized, self-actualized, autonomous selves, But marriage is not for the faint of hearts because this healing only happens through submission, love, and a great mystery. Submission, love, and a great mystery. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Let's look at submission. Let's read verses 21 through 24 again. Wives, excuse me, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, 
and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This sounds like super kind of harsh and pointed, possibly. Uh, but one of the things we need to see is that, you know, in various translations that we have of Scripture, verse 21 is either included in the previous paragraph or it begins the new paragraph and section that we're looking at here. And really, it's a transitional statement in speaking about how we relate to one another, as Paul did in the beginning of chapter 5, and then moving into the specifics of three very particular relationships that we have, husbands and wives, wives and husbands, as well as um, parents and children and uh, bosses and employees, um, which we will get to next week. Wives, uh, here in verse 22, says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That word submit in verse 22 is actually not in there, but it's carried out in this mutual submission that we have in verse 21. Paul then play, uh, explains how this plays out. And he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, this very particularly is not to all men. Women shouldn't be submitting to all men, but to their husbands. This is a voluntary, uh, not forced or coerced submission that they have, but something that they choose to do in their lives. This is a love and a support for her husband. This is not a lower societal rung that she is on. Verse 23 has been often quoted wrongly. It's very famous for that when Paul writes that the husband is the head of the, of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. What Paul is not saying is that the husband is the Savior of the wife. Paul is not saying that the husband uh, um, has foremost importance uh, in the marriage relationship, but it is that the wife gives voluntary leadership to him and allows the husband to take responsibility for her. This is a big leap. This would have been a wild concept in the Greco-Roman world, as it could be today as well. And it actually would have raised up the importance of the wife in the marriage relationship. Now, a lot of times we're going to import our own cultural understandings of what all of this means, but there's this tension here in the text. Because it's not giving up your life, your, your life as the wife uh, for the life of your husbands. Because both husbands and wives are giving up their lives for each other. There's mutual submission. This is really difficult to hold this tension in our head because it's not subordination. There is no hierarchy of who is better or worse. But it's a submission that leads to support and sustaining the marriage relationship moving both people away from their own individuality towards being one. It is placing the importance of the institution, the covenant, the commitment of marriage uh, to one another rather than our own needs. 
Like I said, it's very easy to import all our own cultural understandings, what this is, whether it's what society tells us of what's wrong or what's good about this, whether it we're importing you know, 1950s uh, household codes, if you will, of America into it, or whether we're taking our own family of origin and placing how that looked like in, into this text and therefore into our own lives as well. But one of the amazing things that Paul does is just leaves out a ton of details. This passage has no details to how this plays out, you know, whether it's housework or outside the, the house of, you know, the a vocation or a job and who's taking care of the kids and all of that. This is devoid of details, and I'm not going to give any details or instructions either because marriage is like a gem tumbler, which takes off the rough edges to reveal the true beauty of a gem, whether it's a diamond or of just a beautiful stone. You know, when we first marry, we're like fresh gems from a mine. And what we think, when we think we see beautiful gems, the truth is we begin to see that the polish of the wedding day wears off, that we're a little more roughed, we're a little more cracked, we're a little more imperfect, needy, and self-centered than we ever thought we were. We were a little more content at being single than what we thought we were. And it's only after a lifetime of being knocking into one another and our, our rough edges being um, worn off and being polished in this process of marriage do we begin to see the real beauty of one another being revealed. It's not a beauty that we get dressed up for. It's a beauty that comes as the outside polish of our life is worn off and we truly are able to become beautiful. Wives, what would it look like for you to submit and respect your husband in the same way that you do Christ? This is not an out loud question. And husbands, this isn't a question for you to answer either. Because he's not your savior, but he is one who gets to know you in the depths of your being. What would it look like to submit and support and love your husband? What would he say? What would he be looking for in your marriage covenant expert marriage tip if your wife ever says what did you say she's not asking you to repeat yourself no no she's giving you a chance to change your statement it's also a safety tip love what does Paul say about love look at verses 25 through 33 he writes husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband's. The mutual submission that the husband shows the wife is loving her. 
the expectation that the first readers in the Ephesians would have been waiting for as they listened to this letter would have been to Paul say, reign and rule of your, your wife. Get your woman, you know, uh, in, in hand. I don't remember. In line. That's, that's the phrase. Get your woman in line. But instead he says, love. Give yourself to her as Christ has given himself to you. This word love is the word agape. It's the same word that God uses to display his love towards his people. How the husband displays his mutual submission is in this same, after this same fashion of love. Submission and agape love are synonymous with one another. This agape love is a covenantal word, a covenantal love, one of commitment, one of legal binding to one another. Timothy Keller says, which um, this book, The Meaning of Marriage, uh, he wrote with his wife, is a full-on, you know, 200 and something pages on this passage itself. It's wonderful, it's beautiful, it's challenging, um, and it's really accessible too, and I highly recommend it. But in this book, he says, Covenantal love intimately unites feeling and duty, passion and promise. In covenantal love, the good of the, re- of the relationship takes precedence over the immediate needs of the individual. The legal bond of marriage creates a space of security where we can open up and reveal our true selves. We no longer have to have a facade. We no longer have to fake who we are. We don't have to wear masks around each other anymore. And we, when we do that, not by trying to reign and rule over one another, but by submitting and loving each other. Ancient sources don't read this way, don't speak this way regarding husbands. Like I said, the expectation would have been to reign and rule. But Paul says there are three aspects to this agape, covenantal love. Sanctify, cleanse, and present. Sanctify is setting apart, keeping holy, not um, kind of this finder's keepers mentality. She's mine, but also I'm hers. I belong to her and no one else. To cleanse, to purify, not to defile. Don't blemish her. Don't blemish yourself either. Keep the marriage pure. And to present is an ongoing care, a promise of future love. Not just a, I love you today here on our wedding day, but I will love you into the future as long as our marriage will last. I won't give up on you. Don't just love the woman or the man that he or she is. Love the woman or man that he or she will be. It goes both ways. And what this does is it creates belonging. You belong to one another. And so that no matter where you find yourself in your life, you can say, she's mine, he's mine. I belong to someone else. We're reserved for one another, both now and in the future. That hyphen in the word house table connects us. Our relationship belongs to one another. We creates belonging. The background for this text is Ezekiel 16, 1 through 14, where God says to Israel, you are my bride. I love you. And he cares for her and washes her. He, the, the metaphor there is marrying and adorning Israel with splendor, so much so that her beauty was renowned among the nations. 
This is not just an external beauty, remember that we're talking about in Ephesians, but one where our true character and what God is doing, working in us, can shine forth from inside of us. When Stacy and I were engaged about 12 years ago, we were, um, how do I say, expressing our affections for one another. When a thought came through my head and went directly out of my mouth, we, were, we met on March 17th, we were engaged on August 19th, and we were set to marry February 5th, so a little under 11 months of knowing each other. And this timeline is what went through my head, and what came out of my mouth was something of the effect, I don't think I'm ready for marriage. That immediately interrupted all of our activities and what I meant to say was like I don't think I know all that is involved in being married I don't think my mind can wrap itself around the the complexity the intimacy all the things that we're going to experience for one another but what it sounded like was more like I didn't want to get married and Stacy looked at me and was like what what <laughs> and I said and in the midst of expressing my affections for Stacy, my heart knew that I didn't know what marriage was all about. And only through entering into this covenant do we begin to grow in our understanding, to realize the fullness of the commitment that it takes from one another. To uh, kind of paraphrase uh, uh, Dale Bruner, a, a commentary theologian, he says, spouses live their lives between love and doubt. Christian spouses are both believers and doubters, adoring and wondering, trusting and questioning. There's always this sense of what's next? What are we going to do? How can we face this together? Are we going to face it together? How do we work out our lives with one another? That is both the beauty, the splendor, and the fearsomeness of what marriage is all about. Expert marriage tip. When you've had a tough day as a husband, sometimes you just need a day off. So take one. It's not easy being the best thing that happened to your wife. Now, his wife is in the background of all these videos, and at the end of that one, she just says, that's disgusting, and walks off. <laughs> Husbands, what would it look like for you to treat your wife in a holy, set-apart manner to cleanse her and not defile her? What would it look like for you to set yourself apart truly for your wife only? What would it mean to create a deep belonging to one another, to love her in a way that looks at the woman, um, that, that people look at her and see how she is being transformed into the likeness of Christ, for you to be able to be um, a stone in the tumbler of life with her, drawing that out? What would that look like? What would she say? How would she answer that question? for you. One of the things that I don't want to leave out is in verse 31, where Paul, quoting uh, the Old Testament, says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There is a lot of family trauma, whether little or big that we carry around with us from our family of origin. It can be, it can, it can move into the category, the true category of trauma of being abuse 
or it can just be like missed expectations that were placed on us and 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 living in you know being a child of sinful parents which we all are something carrying around something that needs healing and one of the things that marriages give us is the opportunity to be able to love one another so that our wounds can heal we don't have to perpetuate the brokenness that we were raised in. Stacey and I will have a lot of conversations. Well, this is just what we did in our family. And I'll say, well, this is just what we did in our family. And both of us have to lay those things down and say, how are we going to do it ourselves here? How are we going to create a culture um, where our kids know that we love them even when we are mad at them? How are they going to know and have that secure belonging to us? How are we going to maintain that secure belonging to one another as well? We don't have to look back at our family of origins, even though we will. We don't have to carry that with us. We can do um, different, dare I say, better at times um, to be able to see those wounds being healed. And there's a ton to say on this, um, but we just, we don't have time this morning. We'll get to it. Um, Expert marriage facts. In a recent women's study, 97% of women surveyed said their husbands were stupid. I'm so glad I'm in the other 5%. <laughs> I didn't know. You. Anyway. <laughs> I, I don't usually do jokes in my sermons. This might be why. All right. <laughs> uh, mystery. Let's read the whole passage again, because Paul moves immediately from talking about husbands and wives and this everyday relationship that most of us are in to talking about Christ and the church. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Paul says, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That word reverence is also the word fear. It's literally the word fear. Um, and it can be overwhelming to be controlled by someone else or to have fear of Christ. It's not usually what we think of, but it is that means to be overwhelmed and controlled by someone 
or something else. We see the greatness and the glory of who God is, the wonders of who God is, the greatness of his love, and our response is fear. How can someone know me so intimately, so deeply, and yet and love me so much? This should be, Paul says, the controlling factor in our relationship. Now, throughout Ephesians, Paul has been talking about the mystery of the gospel and how it plays out, breaking down the dividing wall between two disparate groups of people. And here, when he gets to the marriage relationship, he says that this is a mega mystery, is the actual Greek word. He says this mystery is profound. It's huge. It's so hard to understand. And he's talking both about, uh, uh, sorry, he's not talking about husbands and wives and how they are coming together, but he's talking about how Christ and the church will be united eventually. The two most at-odds group of people, Christ, the Trinity, Godhead, three in one, and the church coming together, Christ and the church will be united so much so, so intimately, that it is called the marriage And what's interesting about this particular passage is that the church, you and me, are seen as prompting the work of Christ. It's not merely a result of what he did. His life, death, and resurrection was in response to his deep, deep love for you and me. His love is so extravagant for us that he couldn't not die for us. He had to out of the depths of his being because his love, he loves us so much. In his life, death, and resurrection, he is united to us. He wants you, and he gets you. Jesus takes us and calls us into the most intimate relationship we will ever experience. In Christ, we see a God who desires not just to live with us, but to live within us to be with us in our darkest moments as well as our highest and our brightest, to walk with us through all that life throws at us, and ultimately to be so united to us that the best description for it is marriage. See, this passage isn't primarily about husbands and wives. It's about Christ and the church. Marriage is merely an analogy of Christ's love, His saving work, and ongoing care for the church. In Christ, we see the submission that he brings to the church, how he loves us deeply, how he gives himself up for us, wholly and completely setting us aside for his purposes of love and mercy and grace and kindness so that we can be that out in the world as well. We can shine, we can support, we can show forth in our submission to him who he is and how he loves the world. And the only way through marriage is with Christ. Marriage continuously unveils the beauty and the depths of the gospel to us. We see that we are more messed up than we ever thought we were when we are in this intimate of a relationship. We're more in need of love, more in need of grace, empathy, mercy, patience, kindness, sometimes therapy, but also more loved and cherished and set apart than we ever dared imagined. How would your life be different if you believed this about the depths of Christ's love for you? How would your marriage be different? How would you approach marriage differently?
what would you want to be different in your marriage because Christ's love for you? What would you want to be different in your relationship with Jesus? Because this house table analogy isn't just for the here and now, but it's where we're going to end up as well. It says we will rejoice when we come to the house of the Lord. And Revelation 21 gives us this beautiful picture of the church being uh, uh, clothed in splendor and glory and majesty and us being caught up in uh, as the bride of Christ being united to Christ. Jonathan Edwards was a theologian in the late uh, 18th century, and he says this about the end of creation. The end of creation of God was to provide a spouse for his son, Jesus Christ, that he might enjoy him and on whom he might pour forth his love. And the end of all things in providence are to make way for the exceeding expressions of Christ's love to his spouse and for her exceeding close and intimate union with and high glorious enjoyment of him and to bring this to pass. And therefore the last thing and the issue of all things is the marriage of the Lamb. And the wedding day is the last day, the day of judgment, or rather that will be the beginning of it. The wedding feast is eternal, and the love and joys and songs and entertainments and glories of the wedding will never end, and it will be an everlasting wedding day. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for how you love us, how you've shown your love to us in Jesus Christ, Lord. Um, Help help our unbelief uh, when we get bogged down in seeing our own neediness or the neediness of our spouse or those who are closest to us, Lord. Allow us uh, the grace and mercy to turn to you and know that your love for us is exceedingly great, is exceedingly wonderful, and is more intimate than we will ever uh, experience here in this life and in the life to come. Lord, we pray that we would see this union with you that you would shine brightly through us, that we would um, submit our lives to you so that you and that you would lead us in our lives so that we would be able to see and and show forth your glory, your peace, your love to all those around us and to invite them into this glorious, majestic relationship. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.